Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Good afternoon. So happy you're with us. Kathy Emmons in the Word FM studios. My honor partner, John Hall, taking a day off. But today I'm joined in the studio with my friend, the uh, president and the CEO of the Pittsburgh Urban Christian School, Mr. Dave Ooh. Moore. Dave, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Look Thanks, Mike's Kathy. Clapping. My, I don't get it. Hey, good to see you. We like Dave Moore. What the heck? I'm glad to be here. We have a fantastic show coming up. We're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, the rise of robotics in hour two. In hour one, uh, an airing of a conversation I had yesterday on J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. If you're a fan of Middle Earth or Narnia, you're going to absolutely lose your mind at how awesome uh, this newish book is in this brand new documentary that's coming out on Lewis and Tolkien. So that's coming up this hour. But before that, Dave, I saw this on Bloomberg this morning. Okay, very excited. <laughs> You're not going to be because it's mm. just weird. Married couples don't want to admit when wives out-earn husbands. Well, um, you have a commercial queued up, Mike. <laughs> Ready to go? Listen, when okay. men earn less oh, than yeah. when when men earn less than their wives. Couples tend to lie, according to new research from the U.S. Census Bureau, oh. that looked at the difference between income reported to the IRS and what what's reported through government surveys in what the researchers call non-traditional couples, where the woman earns more. Okay. Both, spou- both spouses were more likely to inflate the husband's earning power and minimize the wife's. So not just the husband, the wife right, also. Right, right. Okay. And, and here, listen to this. The pattern held true for couples across income brackets – racial groups and age ranges so okay but the the age range one is significant mm-hmm. like right. you, would, you would think yes. that oh this is you know older couples who are trying to defer to the man but right there those traditional like smarter. you know stick in the mud people the but no it's the same across the age ranges well let me ask you this yeah do, how does this i mean i, I don't income aside um do you like reporting how much money you make to anybody? No, for yeah, sure neither not. Neither do I. Right. So, which, is, which is why a big chunk of us are actually libertarian at heart. So let's let's slide one further. Yeah. Um, not just do we inflate the husband's income, but you know, couples lie seriously on a survey. <laughs> I don't. It, it is shocking. It is shocking. I thought the only lies were in the Nielsen ratings. Yes, that's right. But apparently, it's more widespread. All right. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't like the idea of reporting my income to anybody, At all. even on a, okay. a survey of, you know, how did you like this restaurant? What's your income bracket? What does that matter? Okay, okay. But let me ask you this, and I'm going to okay. ask you and you and Mike both. Yeah. It says that at the uh, bottom of the Bloomberg article, this is today's edition. Mm-hmm. Um. Men make more than their wives in 69% of American marriages. Okay. Okay. That's down from 87% in 1980. Well, okay. But All right. more women are working. But at the same time, 71% of Americans said it was important for a man to be the breadwinner in order to be seen as a good husband or partner. And that 71% of Americans, male or female. It just it doesn't say it says 71 percent of Americans that has to include both genders said it was important for a man to be the breadwinner in order to be seen as a good husband or partner. But think about that statement. Is it what's the opposite of that statement? It's not important for a man to be a breadwinner. 
Oh, so no one's going to say that. You're saying, yeah, yeah that, so that what, just sounds like, right. So, yeah. they, so they've already gotten their answer before they ask the question? That's what I think. A hundred percent of people okay. think air is All right. great. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you this. Mike, Dave, yeah. is it like, how do you, is it important for you that you make more than your wives salary wise? It's not important for me at all okay. as long as as long as i know that my wife is happy and, uh, and is okay with things then it's I'm okay. okay with that i like i think personally for her she wouldn't care how much i make just as make just as long as i'm like helping around the house and you know right. being not, a husband not being, being a jerk. father not right. being a jerk yeah yeah i don't think i don't think finances is so 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 mrs new mike's goal for husband is one don't be a jerk right, right. yeah right. <laughs> Right. And then the other ones are just She's fall in down. the 29% of that survey <laughs> yeah. where yeah. if she was asked, how important is it for your husband to not be a jerk? Yeah. <laughs> right. She right. Say, is it important to you? Means nothing. Okay. Got it, it really – no, mm-hmm. we have to make enough money to make ends meet. The two bit. of you together. Yeah. Right. yeah. So. And there have been uh, – there have been – most of our married life, I've been making more. But mm-hmm. she uh, – You had many, many children. had many, many children. So many children. And she chose not to work right? – or not to work full-time during <laughs> that time. She chose not to work. She chose not to <laughs> – yeah. yeah. That didn't she happen chose, with all the five children. <laughs> no. But she chose not to hold a full-time job. Right. Um, but there were also times when she was making more money, and that was just life. Mm-hmm. So, oh well, we have to pay our bills. Yeah. Okay, so I feel like my husband wouldn't care a hoot either. Mm-hmm. I don't think he. I don't think that would ever. It's. It's. It was just funny to me how large these numbers are. That people seventy one percent. Now, now you're right that the asking of the question is probably vital in yeah. what I'm seeing here. Yeah. If, if if I'm if I'm answering that question, I'm thinking, well, if I say no, then I'm saying that you it's know it's not or, important that that, I, that I'm in favor yeah. of men being lugs and sleeping on the sofa right. all the time. Because you can turn that into a sexist remark. Right. That's that, true. Oh no, the man should be the breadwinner. No, I'm saying that for my daughters, and I have four daughters, that they better marry a guy who wants to be. A breadwinner, mm-hmm. um, because and not because uh, I'm I'm insisting on it, but because um, you're going to be in real trouble if you don't. Um, meanwhile, guys should also be looking for a wife who um, are willing to, you know, are, are contribute. We you have to, be, you have to look at people yes. who's going to be a partner, yes. a good partner. Let's look at the let's look at the checking account and look at the bills and say, okay, what's needed today? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let me ask you one more question. We're going to have to take a break in just a minute, but do you think that in the church today, in the capital C church, and I know you can't speak for the universal church, I'm not asking that, but your experience in all the churches that you've served in as a pastor, Dave, all the churches you've been in, Mike, do you think that? that that role of husband provider is more important in the church than it is in larger culture or the same? I have no data to back this up. It's just a I, question I'm asking. I think in the churches I've been in, it's more important, but not for um, – but but mainly because um, – out of out of pragmatism, but also out of male responsibility. Okay, I agree. The with church. That. Do you think so, Mike? Yeah. The church imparts onto guys the awesome responsibility of uh, of um, love your wife. Yes. And and as Christ loved the church, mm-hmm. and you can't read that in the Bible. You can't hear that from the pulpit and not take it seriously. 
Uh, and for most guys, that means putting aside and going to work, um, uh, putting yourself aside and go just make sure the family's well. You know what? Cared for, taken care for. It, that's a, it's a great thing to hear because I, in in culture, when culture is talking about the church, it seems like the only thing that they're saying is that when it comes to gender roles, women here submit, submit, submit. And I love the fact that you two are saying, "Hey, when I go to church, I hear men are supposed to love their wives," and that's kind of the, the end of that story. All right, coming up next for all of you fans of uh, Middle Earth. If you're a J.R. Tolkien fan, if you're a Narnia fan, C.S. Lewis, stay close. We're going to talk to Joe LaConte about a fabulous new book about both men next. That's a passion of mine, serving an underserved population. Stock Family Dentistry's Dr. Megan Stock on treating special needs patients. I get this warm feeling every single time we have special needs patients in our office. Their needs are not that different from anybody else. It takes some patience. That's about it. And I try to provide that with every one of my patients, special needs or not. Spending the time with that patient is very rewarding to me. On Perry Highway in Wexford, visit StockFamilyDentistry.com. Great experiences are meant to be shared. How about the experience of a great night's sleep? This is John Hall, and I've been sharing with you about my pillow for a long time. It's truly the most comfortable pillow I've ever owned. It's machine washable, dryable, never loses its shape, and it gives me the support I need no matter what position I'm in. And it comes with Mike Lindell's famous 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Once you experience my pillow, I'm sure that you'll love it too. And you're going to want to share that great experience with somebody else, which is great because right now you can get two my pillows for the price of one with Mike's buy one, get one free deal. Just call 1-800-961-9207. Mention the promo code word to start enjoying the best sleep of your life or type it in when you visit MyPillow.com. This offer ends August 1st, so don't delay. That's 1-800-961-9207 or visit MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WORD. Hi, I'm John Henney from Henney Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our To Have and To Hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit HennyJewelers.com. Henny Jewelers, your jewelers for life. When wet weather is on the way, keep it dry inside with J&D Waterproofing. Water seepage and a sinking foundation can cause major structural damage if left untreated. Joe Belanti and the team at J&D Waterproofing have the experience to correct your water problem with over 72 years in the industry. Call the Tri-State's premier waterproofing company now at 1-800-VERY-DRY for a free estimate and big savings on all waterproofing services for a limited time. J&D Waterproofing, 1-800-VERY-DRY. What can you see?
Dr. Joseph Leconti is Associate Professor of History at the King's College in New York City, where he teaches courses on Western civilization and American foreign policy. His previous titles include God, Locke, and Liberty, The Struggle for Religious Freedom in the West, and The Searchers, A Quest for Faith in the Valley of Doubt. His newest work is called A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and a Great War, How J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis Rediscovered Faith, Friendship, and Heroism in the Cataclysm of 1915 to 1918. I have a 16-year-old daughter. And uh, I also have a 19-year-old daughter. And so at the start of the summer, we were, you know, all back together again, my husband and I and our daughter who yeah. just just finished her, her uh, freshman year at uh, uh, Grove thanks. City College. And oh, that's great. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Right, because we, we, we saw you there last year, Joe. Um, You're not old enough to have a 19-year-old. Go ahead. Keep going. Um, ahead. Trust, trust me, I am. But so we, we <laughs> got together at the beginning of the summer and uh, we talked about, you know, what do, what do you want from the summer? Like, what do you want to make sure you yeah. do? Because if you don't talk about that at the beginning, it doesn't happen. And uh, right, and so my 16-year-old said, first thing out of her mouth, I want to watch Lord of the Rings together as a family again. Aww. And I thought, no, isn't that fabulous? So we we had prioritized that um, for our yeah. kids when they were little. I want to say um, my daughter who asked the question, who said who said this is what I want to do. I think she was probably nine, eight or nine when we watched it the first time. And so now yeah, she's six, yeah. now she's 16 and she feels like, okay, well, you know, I barely remember that. And so anyway, we decided, mm. well, yeah, that's what she wants to do. That's what we're going to do. So last night was the end. So we watched all um, three movies and we watched the extended yeah. cut of each one. So that's 12 ah. hours, right? You have to really, ah. really be committed. <laughs> <laughs> You're in middle of yes, there, aren't you? I am telling you, we were so deep in, Joe, you can't even believe it. Um, that is fabulous. But we we finished it last night and it was about 10:30 and I mean you it is The Return of the King is one of my favorite films of all time. But as we yeah. finished it and of course everybody's weeping, it's just such a yeah. gorgeous This is what I thought to yeah. myself. I thought what kind of mind creates a story of such beauty, of such yes. depth, of such incredible yeah. scope? Um, yeah. The story by which every fantasy book will always be judged because there it, it's right. it's just so unique in its um, in its perspective in its uh, in its solidity top to bottom beginning to end. Yes. I mean, I mean the, yes. the gift that we have been given in Western civilization by having Lord of the Rings is just incalculable, yes. and I, I know you agree with me on that, Joe. Oh yeah, and uh, in fact, we'll get into it in our discussion. When we interviewed Neil Ferguson, he's a great British historian, uh, what came out at the end of the conversation, which surprised me, because I don't know if he's a particularly religious guy, he said that the Lord of the Rings and Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, these are foundational texts and introductions to Western civilization. <laughs> it was just amazing mm -hmm. what he said at, at the end of that interview. And so I think people have some, especially have an historical perspective, they really appreciate the contribution of that of that work of the Lord of the Rings. How just how unique it is, how uniquely powerful it is. Now I read it's the book. To hear your daughter. Right, well, I, I read the book the first time when I was in college. I hadn't. I didn't read it as a kid, and I, I read The Hobbit first, and then I read The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And I don't know what it was about it that just 
captured me. I mean, I think the first thing that captured me is that it's the Hobbit is so charming. Um, if you've yeah, never, if, yeah. if you're listening to this and you've never read Tolkien, listen, it's not scary. It's not like too deep for you. Just, you know, open up the Hobbit and you will laugh. It is, it is, yeah, it is, a, right. it is a sweet story, but it has depth to it. It's epic. And, yeah. it's, and it, it just tells you everything you need to know to kind of get in the right frame of mind to understand what's coming in the Lord of the Rings. Um, and Joe, you yourself, um, have written a book that is one of my favorites, truly. I mean, I'm such a geek about this kind of thing. So you, and I've told you this <laughs> 10 different times, but it's one of my favorites in the last five years, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War, how J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis rediscovered faith, friendship, and heroism in the cataclysm of 1914 to 1918. And until I read your book, I mean, I'd always appreciated this incredible work of Lord of the Rings, and I love the films and all that sort of thing. But until yeah. I read your book, I did not understand what those two, what, what Jared Tolkien had been through in war, in World War One, in the gear yep. up to World War One, and his time on the battlefield, and just how all of that kind of poured out in his writing. Yeah, and that is such an important point to make, Kathy, because uh, we can't appreciate their achievement, uh, Tolkien's achievement, Lewis's achievement, unless we understand that they've been through the furnace of war. They didn't become embittered. They didn't become cynical. They didn't give up on the idea of individual heroism or that the, you know, that the individual person, the smallest person can make a difference. When their generation, the, the authors, the writers, the intellectuals in the 1920s after the First World War, they were giving up on that idea mm -hmm. because the individual seemed to count for nothing in the trenches with the mechanized slaughter and all the rest of it. But Tolkien and Lewis both, they reach back uh, to an earlier tradition, a, a deeply Christian tradition, about the importance of the individual and the, and the reality of heroism. And so as you suggested, you know, they, they produce these stories of great moral beauty. And I think that was a combination of their own life experience, how they chose to interpret the, the horror of the war, what they saw, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so their life experience, but also what they were steeped in as scholars, as, uh, as Oxford dons, the literature that they read, the great epic works that they loved, Beowulf, the death of Arthur, uh, the Aeneid. I mean, these guys were, were just amazing scholars, and so they had this sense of, okay, what are the great works of Western civilization that we need to hang on to, that communicates something deeply true and important about the human condition. Mm -hmm. And they brought all that, I think, into their stories. After the film was over last night, I was, you know, I, it, it's just such um it's such an epic world that you've been involved with when you watch any of these films or when you read the book that, yeah. of course, I couldn't step away from it immediately. So I went and got my, my dog-eared, I mean, copy that, of Lord of the Rings that I've dropped in water twice. I mean, it looks like it's been through a war. <laughs> but I went and pulled it out, and I read, the, uh, I read Tolkien's prologue um, for the book. And, yeah. um, it, you know, he, he talks a little bit in the prologue about the process of writing it and how, how difficult it was, how it kind of stopped and yeah. started for him. Um, one of the things yeah. that he brought up that he was insistent on, um, is how it was not that, that, uh, Mordor, the whole world of Middle Earth was not a reaction or a retelling of World War II. And because yeah. it was published in 54, I think, is when the first one came out, um, yeah. apparently many people assumed that that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still debate about this. And I, I'm still not sure how to think about it because he starts writing this, this epic work in around 1937, 37, 38. And, you know, by 1937-38, there is a real sense of apprehension 
and anxiety about the rise of fascism right, and communism coming. and the fe- and what's coming and the real fears of another global conflict that especially among the british you could see it in the literature uh in the conferences that are being held the peace conferences there's a great anxiety and and token could not have been immune to any of that it has to be on the backdrop i have a sense that even unconsciously the onset of the war especially by 1939 when britain is in the war uh i just have a sense that at, at the very least there's a deep sense of urgency that he feels because think about it britain is under assault in 1940 the battle of britain is raging right uh and london's being bombed and it's not clear if who's going to win this thing it is not clear that britain is going to survive or that western civilization is going to survive so any human being in in that situation any brit in that situation who's an author there's going to be a sense of urgency, and I think you do pick up on that. So, no, I don't think it's necessarily some allegory of the, of the Second World War and Nazism, and I, I would agree with Tolkien it's not. But certainly the force of events is, is putting pressures on him. It has to be weighing on his mind and his imagination. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got sons serving in the Second World War. For Pete's sake, right? Right, and and and, and right. In, I believe it's in the same um, in the same portion of the prologue. He says, though it's hard for any author to determine where from where his ideas come. You know, he yeah. he, he kind of said, you know, we're all a part of the life that we're living, and so we can't yes. divorce ourselves from our own yes. experience. And so it's kind of convoluted to imagine or try to assess how much our experience, you know, feeds into the kind of art and yes. and literature that we're producing. Yes, there was an expression that Lew- that uh, Tolkien used in one of his essays about why he writes the way he does, and people trying to understand the source of his writing, the source of his ideas. And the phrase he used was, the leaf mold of the mind. Hmm. And what he meant was, all the things that he's read, all the things that he's thought about, the experiences that he's had, in a subconscious way, in an unconscious way, they, f- they just bubble up over time. And as you sit down to write and engage in the creative process, what comes out are things you couldn't have possibly anticipated. Anticipated the leaf mold of the mind. Mm-hmm. It's just an amazing phrase, and I think he's captured something for those of us who's at least part time who try to make our living as as writers. I think he's onto something. Yeah, you don't know where right. some of these ideas came from. You know, the, the famous the famous revelation from Tolkien when he's sitting there grading student papers, uh, and finally, and which is total drudgery for any professor or teacher who's honest about it and then he comes to a blank sheet of paper and he's relieved to find a blank sheet of paper and he he just scrawls on the blank sheet of paper in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit i mean how that's just what a moment i mean i just i don't mean i don't i can't be i don't know i don't want to be too much of a fangirl but to me that's like it's like a lightning bolt from heaven it is. It has to be. And then he goes back and reflecting on that years later, oh. he says, you know, I thought I'd better go find out what hobbits were like eventually. <laughs> we're talking to Joe. That's Le- the creative mind. We're yeah. talking to Joe Laconte. He's the author of the book, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe and a Great War, and also a brand new documentary. We need to step away. But when we come back, we'll talk more about the book, more about the new project coming up and how you can be involved. This is Mike Howard for Word FM, here to tell you about an awesome opportunity to attend Teal College in nearby Greenville, Pennsylvania, for an extremely discounted investment without discounting the educational experience. More on that in a moment. 
Teal College was founded in 1866 as a co-educational institution in western Pennsylvania. Teal is an independent liberal arts college rooted in the Lutheran tradition, offering distinctive programs in the arts and humanities, social and natural sciences, and professional studies, together with engaging co-curricular and athletic opportunities. Teal College provides an accessible and inclusive learning environment that emphasizes service to society. Teal's residential campus offers a safe and supportive setting in which to grow and learn. Word FM is pleased to offer a tuition voucher to a brand new student at Teal College at half price. Yes, half price. That is almost $15,000 in savings. Call me today, Mike Howard, to find out more. 412-937-1500. That's 412-937-1500. It's Trinity Jewelers' 20th anniversary. To celebrate, Trinity invites you to bring your better half this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and get half off half the store. We don't know which half yet, but 50% of all their jewelry will be going for 50% off. No, Trinity is not going out of business. They've just lost their minds, and the savings will be ridiculous. Trinity Jewelers' 20th anniversary half-off, half-the-store sale. 20 years of celebrating life's closest relationships. Trinity Jewelers, Mount Nebo Road at trinityjewelers.com. That dollar in your pocket, it's worth more than you think. Because at Wendy's, a dollar's all you need to pick up the new Buffalo Ranch Crispy Chicken Sandwich. Hey, you deserve the most bang for your buck. Now you got it. Hot, crispy chicken topped with melty Monterey Jack and creamy Buffalo Ranch sauce. With this much flavor in one sandwich, a dollar's worth more than ever. The Dollar Buffalo Ranch Crispy Chicken Sandwich. More flavor, one dollar. For a limited time at Wendy's. At participating Wendy's, price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii. You don't know when your AC unit will call it quits, but you can rest assured it'll be at the most inconvenient time possible. And who has all day to wait around for a tech to arrive? With Ventec, there is no waiting around, including evenings and weekends. Ventec will repair and replace forced air, central AC, and even offers split mini duct units to heat and cool individual rooms. With flat rate pricing instead of hourly fees. Clean, courteous, convenient, and A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Ventec, 412-793-0661. Isn't crushing candy just boring? Play the hit puzzle game Best Fiends. It's sweeping the nation. Tired of matching candies? Give Best Fiends a try. It's fun, fresh, and addictive whether you play alone or with friends and family. Download Best Fiends for free in the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Clear skies and comfortable tonight with a low of 58 degrees. Tomorrow, another nice-looking day, mostly sunny. A pleasant afternoon with a high of 83. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, 66 degrees. Then for Friday, a mixture of clouds and sunshine. There can be a thunderstorm in some spots later on in the day Friday. Highs right around 85 degrees. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. What can you see? Ships. 
We're back with Dr. Joseph Laconti, Associate Professor of History at the King's College in New York City, where he teaches courses on Western civilization and American foreign policy. He's the author of a number of books, including A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War, How J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis Rediscovered Faith, Friendship, and Heroism in the Cataclysm of 1914 to 1918. Joe, you know, you're a writer yourself, and and I'm not a writer, and so I kind of want to get in your head a little bit. Um, I I mentioned in our first segment that my family and I just finished watching uh, the Lord of the Rings films last night, and it's it's probably the third or fourth time I've seen it. Um, But it's the second time that we've watched it together as a family. And it's just, if if you're listening to the show and you think, wow, that's, you know, I'm not really into fantasy or I never really got that. Listen, just give it a chance. I I can't think of another work of fiction that has affected me. I mean, there's not even another book close to how foundational uh, Lord of the Rings was in my life and my understanding, even today, and how I think about the gospel, how I think about the mission, uh, the story of God in the world. Um, It's just such a beautiful, beautiful work. But as as I went back and read the prologue after I finished the film last night, I just kind of wanted to get inside Tolkien's head a little bit. And one of the things he he writes about in yeah. in the battle scenes is that he said, you know, it was difficult for him to um, create the battle scenes. He said, or better said, record them. Mm. And, and I thought well, that's really wow. interesting. So in his head as a writer, mm. it wasn't that he was creating what was happening. It was almost like it was being created and he was just recording it. He was just like the journalist. On, and I thought, do you have to get in that place when you're a writer? Do you have to kind of let the the work of art like evolve on its own and then you just kind of step back? You know, it's a terrific question. And it's probably going to be a different answer for those who write fiction like, like Tolkien and Lewis did. Uh, that kind of creative process uh, as opposed to nonfiction. But I think that, that what's similar in both genres is that um, material and ideas – concepts will will come to you will come into your mind that you just didn't anticipate you couldn't mm-hmm. have mapped it out and you're not even sure where it came from and i think this is part and this might be good for your audience to think about is we need to have some space in our minds space in our day when it's we're just not filled with clutter but we have time to think about things that really are beautiful and good and true and let those things percolate in our minds a little bit and get out some of the clutter that certainly helps me as a writer as I uh, approach a particular task, I've got to have some some really good and noble and decent ideas floating around in my head for a while before I sit down to write, or it's much, much, much harder. And I suspect Tolkien and Lewis, because they were so drenched in such wonderful writing themselves, given their profession as as uh, as academics, as scholars, um, professors of literature, they were so immersed in these amazing worlds. Of, of virtue and heroism and sacrifice. Well, when they sit down to write, they've got a storehouse. Mm-hmm. They've got things right. to draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's got to right. make a real difference, right? It, it really does. And there's, there's no other work of art, anything like the, um, like the impact of the, of the Bible in, uh, well, in world civilization, but I'm thinking particularly yeah. in Western civilization. And especially, you know, talking now into a culture today that is largely biblically illiterate, not just general culture, yeah. but even people who are in the yeah. church who are, who are biblically illiterate. I mean, when you look at the, the works of literature and the, the, um, the, 
the writers were facile. They understood the Bible, even if they didn't believe yes. it. There was an understanding yes. of it as literature. And so it yes. informed how they wrote. I mean, just, you know, my daughter's reading A Wrinkle in Time again by Madeline Langle, another one of my very, very favorite books. But in mm. that book, at the end of it, when Charles Wallace starts talking about, he, he's talking to Meg, his sister, and he's kind of trying to explain um, how something's working with their interaction with their father. And he starts talking about the interaction with with um, our cosmos and how it all fits together. And then he starts quoting yeah. from the book of Isaiah. It's just the wow. most beautiful, seamless thing. Now, the only way that that was creatable as a, from Madeline Langle's perspective as an author is that she was that text lived in her so that when she was yeah. writing her fictional story, it just yeah. came out. And that's the yeah. way I think of Lewis and Tolkien also is that yes. those works lived in them. And so when they yes. went to write, it just it just it couldn't help but come out. I think that's exactly right. And put it another way, Kathy, try to imagine the Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia or Lewis's The Space Trilogy, which I'm reading again, uh, if I haven't read in a long time, reading again. Try to imagine any of those works without a biblical view of the human person and of life and the cosmos. Try to imagine any of those works being written or having any kind of power to speak to us. It, it's, it, it's just completely inconceivable, isn't it? No, it is. I mean, even though Tol Tolkien's not explicit about his Christian faith in The Lord of the Rings, of course, but boy, this is a moral universe, oh. right? There are transcendent truths that individuals either submit to and embrace or they reject. Right. And their souls are caught up in that in that decision making process, right? Right, and it reminds me of the Book of Esther, where God is never mentioned in the Book of Esther, but uh, He is the unseen. Uh, he is, if you, the yes. book. The book doesn't exist without God. I mean, He is the ultimate right. actor in it. He's the ultimate genesis of that book. The same thing with the Lord That's of the right. Rings. You know, I mean, I in fact, when it was over, um, I asked my daughters, "So, you know, who was the Lord of the Rings?" And they were like, well, of course, it's Sauron. And I said, well, is that the right answer? I mean, is there a big, is there, I mean, was he, ulti yeah. was he ultimately the Lord of the Rings? You know, what I see is that the, the unmentioned God of the universe is the one who ultimately yes. was the Lord of those rings. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. yes, always present but never named exactly. in Tolkien's works as he, put, as he put it in one of his own letters. So that's the way he wanted to write it. He wanted, he wanted a more kind of indirect, implicit a kind of uh, Christian worldview, it really embedded in the story. And Lewis was more direct, I think in part because of his own conversion to Christianity, Lewis was more naturally an evangelist in that sense. But they both write these incredibly powerful stories for the reason you just suggested. They're anchored in the transcendent. They're anchored in a biblical understanding of life and the world. Joe Lacanti's with us. A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War is the book. How J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis rediscovered faith, friendship, and heroism in the cataclysm of 1914 to 1918. Time for us to step away for a bit. When we come back, we'll talk about the new documentary project on today's Ride Home. Stop everything you're doing right now and ask yourself, are you currently receiving steady paychecks? What about when you're retired? Will you receive a monthly check to cover your expenses and also have some fun? Kurt Kenotic at Accurate Solutions Group calls this mailbox money. It's the monthly check you'll receive throughout retirement. Kurt wants to help remove stress from your retirement. He doesn't want you to worry about if the money will show up or how much money you'll receive. The only thing Kurt wants you to think about is how to spend it when it arrives. Find out how to get enough money in your mailbox every month when you're retiring. Call Kurt Kenotic and the team at Accurate Solutions Group at 412-515-3555. 
for a complimentary retirement analysis with strategies that could help your nest egg provide you monthly income you'll need in retirement. Call right now, 412-515-3555. Investment advisory services offered through ASG Investment Management, LLC, and Accurate Investment Solutions, Inc. Great experiences are meant to be shared. How about the experience of a great night's sleep? This is John Hall, and I've been sharing with you about my pillow for a long time. It's truly the most comfortable pillow I've ever owned. It's machine washable, dryable, never loses its shape, and it gives me the support I need no matter what position I'm in. And it comes with Mike Lindell's famous 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Once you experience my pillow, I'm sure that you'll love it too. And you're going to want to share that great experience with somebody else, which is great because right now you can get two my pillows for the price of one with Mike's buy one, get one free deal. Just call 1-800-961-9207. Mention the promo code word to start enjoying the best sleep of your life or type it in when you visit MyPillow.com. This offer ends August 1st, so don't delay. That's 1-800-961-9207. Or visit MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WORD. I get this warm feeling every single time we have special needs patients in our office. Their needs are not that different from anybody else. Spending the time with that patient is very rewarding to me. Exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care at StockFamilyDentistry.com. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs, like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray-on bed liners, tonneau covers, weather tech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters. Always a favorite. Extreme car and truck in Bridgeville. For the extreme in all of us. At extremetruck.net. What can you see? Finishing out a conversation with Dr. Joseph Laconti, Associate Professor of History at the King's College in New York City, where he teaches courses on Western civilization and American foreign policy. Um, his previous titles include God, Locke, and Liberty, The Struggle for Religious Freedom in the West, and The Searchers. Gosh, I love that book, Joe. A Quest for Faith in the Valley of Doubt. Um, but uh, his, his latest is the one that we've been talking about, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. So uh, we've talked about Tolkien. We haven't talked about C.S. Lewis yet in our conversation. Um, C.S. Lewis also served in World War I. He was different in that um, he went into the war and came out of the war as an atheist. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where the influence of Tolkien in his life is so crucial, because it's Tolkien's Catholic Christian faith that really influences Lewis and keeps him in the game, keeps him in the pursuit of truth. Because Lewis encounters in Tolkien a guy who is his intellectual peer. They love the same kinds of stories, and it just kind of compels Lewis to reconsider his assumptions about Christianity and myth. Uh, and is Christianity just another myth, or is there something re- real there? Is there reality? Is there truth in this myth? 
and that's what Tolkien helps them to see, and that's instrumental his conversion to Christianity, and of course then their friendship, I think, becomes one of the most consequential friendships in the 20th century. It's hard to name another friendship that had and continues to have such long-lasting positive influences on so many people, given their creative works. So talk about that friendship. I mean, um, if you are a fan of, of both of these men or one of them, you've probably heard of the Inklings, which was their, their weekly group. Um, talk about how this friendship evolved, Joe, and why you think it's as significant as it turned out to be. Yeah, I think part of it was that they both served in the war, and they had the experience of combat, the hellish experience of combat that they shared. I think that's part of what drew them together initially when they met at Oxford in 1926. But because they loved the same things, and then certainly when Lewis becomes a Christian, now they're, now they're both members of this Christian family. And now they see the world essentially the same way through the lens of the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so they're able to encourage each other not only to write uh, these great epic works, but to be faithful to that Christian vision and that Christian quest. Mm-hmm. And they do that for each other. And, and Tolkien says that he never would have finished The Lord of the Rings without Lewis's great encouragement. Lewis never would have, he might n- never have even published his first uh, work of serious fiction, um, uh, Out of the Silent Planet, the beginning of the, of the Space Trilogy, without Tolkien helping him to find a publisher. And then they're just off to the races, both of them, right. with, their, with their great literary achievements. So that friendship went on, uh, it lasted their entire lives, uh, not only the two of them, but the two of them as the anchor uh, for the Inklings, this group of fellow Christian scholars and writers who met every week for, I don't know, something like 15, 16, 17 years, wow. every Thursday night in Lewis's rooms in, at Oxford, and then also at the Eagle and Child Pub on Tuesday morning. So think about that. Every Thursday without fail, to read out loud, to critique each other's writings. Talk about an That's, accountability group. I know, and we, and we all get to be the recipients of it. All these decades yeah. later, I mean, it's so fascinating, yeah. and it's fantastic. Yeah. So from your That's perspective, true. you feel like this this friendship, um, the work of these two men, and the way that they you know, incubated the works of the other is a story that needs to be told. So this book that I love so yeah. much, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War, is being made into a five-part documentary film series. Uh, talk about this project, Joe. Yeah, thank you, Kathy, for the opportunity to do that. You know, if I had to boil it down to three words... It would be these three words, war, friendship, and beauty. Because it's war, the, the cataclysm of the First World War, the onset of the Second World War, that makes possible the friendship between Tolkien and Lewis. And it's the friendship between Tolkien and Lewis that makes possible the creation of these great epic works, which, if you think about it, they really embody moral beauty. So it's war, friendship, and beauty. And that's the story we want to tell through a five-part documentary series based on the book, uh, in a way that has just never been told on uh, on the screen. And I'm working with some great filmmakers, uh, and uh, we're going to be true to the story of Tolkien and Lewis, and that's part of our challenges. You know, we've got we to gotta raise our own money to do this, not go begging to Hollywood with a script in our hands and say, okay, can you fund our production? We've got to make it first so that we, we control the integrity uh, of, the, uh, of the story. And so I'm... I haven't been excited as encouraged about anything in a long time as I am about this film project. It's great fun. But this is a project, Joe, that you still need help on. I mean, you're still raising money for this. Yeah, we're still raising money. Uh, if I could make a little plug here, HobbitWardrobe.com. HobbitWardrobe.com is where you can see the trailer to the film. It's about a four, four-and-a-half-minute trailer. 
And if you want to uh, support financially or in other ways, that, that will guide you uh, in a way to do that. But, uh, so we've raised some money. We've been to, to the U.K. We've done some filming, but we've got to get back to France where Tolkien and Lewis fought on the battlefields of France. We've got to go back to the U.K., more interviews, more filming, uh, so that we can have episode one and then pretty quickly afterwards, ep episodes two of the five-episode uh, film series here that we are negotiating right now with uh, Amazon.com, Netflix. It's going to be one of these outlets mm -hmm. uh, where this is going to uh, appear. And so we're just trying to generate as much interest and enthusiasm as we can along the way. Listen, this is to me, a thrilling project. It absolutely is. I've already given yeah. to it. I'm happy to give to it again. Uh, I think it's so important. <laughs> for, well, I think it's so important for us to understand so and, and to acknowledge this gift that we've been given um, with, with yeah. the works of of. Tolkien, and we haven't even talked, you know, we could, you could talk about Narnia, you could talk about the Space Trilogy, you could talk about the countless works of, yeah. um, of theology and Christian living that, and, um, apologetics that C.S. Lewis yeah. produced. I mean, um, the debt we owe to them and the way that we can yes. honor the God that inspired them is to make That's this right. story a reality for people and to help them to understand where these stories came from. I can't tell you how many people have been changed and have, you know, are geeks yes. about Narnia or, or Geeks about Tolkien or geeks about Lord of the Rings and don't recognize the gospel story, the ancient story That's of God right. that inspired them. And this is one way that we can get that message out. That's exactly right, Kathy. Thank you so much for that. And we're determined to tell it with, with integrity. And I think doing it on the in a documentary form where you can mix interviews, uh, scene recreations, old photographs, old footage, you place these men historically in their time, in their place, in a way that's very difficult to do on the printed page. I think potentially if we do it right, God willing we will, uh, I think the, the impact of this documentary film can really be immense to bring the story of Tolkien and Lewis to an entirely new audience. That's exciting. The, tra that's really the exciting trailer is just terrific. I, I mean, it is. Oh, Joe, you. Uh, you know, I'm a big supporter of this, and I'm happy to give I you know. a platform to talk about it more. And uh, anytime you need, like, a really geeky person from Pittsburgh to talk <laughs> about how great these two authors are, you have my number. That is, that is Joe that. LeConte from the King's College. Um, HobbitWardrobe.com. HobbitWardrobe.com. You can see the trailer for the uh, five-part documentary film series. And please, donate. If you, can. if you are a person who's been impacted by these two men, by C.S. Lewis and by J.R. Tolkien, give now. Um, make this a reality so that people who don't understand the um, the depth of the work of these men and, and the depth of the friendship that inspires the work that we know, I mean, this is just a wonderful way to get that out into the larger world. So, Joe, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kathy. Great being with you as always. More details available. Find us at com on Facebook, The Ride Home with John and Kathy, or on Twitter. I'll be uh, tweeting out hobbitwardrobe.com in just a minute. Much more coming up on today's Ride Home. If you're drowning in IRS debt and can't afford to pay, then you need to take advantage of special IRS tax programs that are available and free yourself from IRS collection efforts once and for all. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing throughout the country, the Internal Revenue Service has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call the Community Tax Helpline at 800-500-5588. 
If you owe back taxes to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back, or even if you have years of unfiled tax returns, there's no need to fear anymore. But you have to call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-500-5588 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your Social Security check. Call 800-500-5588 for your free consultation and to see if you qualify. That's 800-500-5588. Tired of working for everyone else? With Vanguard Cleaning Systems of Pittsburgh, you can be your own boss and own your own business. It's a common dream that too often goes unrealized. As owner of your own commercial cleaning franchise, you can finally take control of your future. Vanguard Cleaning Systems offers you a turnkey opportunity that takes you through everything step by step, from the initial setup, marketing, and even providing you with new customers. Even if you have no experience, Vanguard will equip you to succeed at your own pace. Vanguard's expertise is why they're consistently ranked as a top franchise in Entrepreneur Magazine. Isn't it time you stopped working for everyone else? Discover the daily joy of being your own boss. All it takes is an initial upfront investment as low as $5,000 that will quickly pay for itself with Vanguard's proven model of success. To start your own janitorial business or expand your current one, call Vanguard Cleaning Systems of Western PA, 724-870-4120. When you're a kid, Idlewild is a place full of adventures. There are rides that are just your size, treats to tickle your taste buds, and special friends like Daniel Tiger to touch your heart. When you're a grown-up, Idlewild is every bit as magical, every bit as memorable, every bit as fun. Idlewild and Soak Zone, because you love to see them smile. Save up to $18 on select days when you buy online at Idlewild.com. The economy is growing, businesses are hiring, and Americans are feeling good about their future opportunities. Looking to upgrade your career? Word FM hosts an online virtual job fair 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, every day of the year. Keyword virtual at wordfm.com now to find our newest employment opportunities from the comfort of your computer or smartphone. Sponsored by Express Employment Professionals of Robinson Township. The virtual job fair at wordfm.com. information about the documentary that I talked to uh, Dr. Vacanti about will be available on my Twitter feed and on Facebook, so find us there. My Twitter feed is Kathy underscore Word FM, and uh, Facebook is The Ride Home with John and Kathy. You can also find our website, johnandkathyshow.com. All right, so Dave Moore. Yes. Now, you have... I'm sure seen many people in your life who have. Dis- I have seen many people. <laughs> now listen. <laughs> you want me to list no, no. them all? No. No. Okay. We just don't have that much time. Okay. As interesting as that would be, many people in your life who have decided that instead of having children, mm-hmm. they're going to you know be committed to their careers. Oh, they're yeah. going to be artistic and they're going to be involved in the community and they're going to accumulate some wealth and travel and all those sorts yeah. of things and. To make up for the fact that they don't have kids, and I'm not trying to denigrate this, I'm just saying it's a different life choice. It's an appropriate choice. Right. They have dogs. Mm, yes. Okay. They're children. Right. Okay. Right. right. Okay. Well, um, first of all, I love dogs, mm-hmm. and not everybody can have children. True. Right? And not everybody um, wants to have children, so I understand that. I'm just saying they're, you know, I, I recognize they're different life choices, but this one, this could actually be going too far. Okay, go for it. Wall Street Journal, article by Amber Burton. When Hilton Carter went to Tulum for his honeymoon in April, he had to secure a sitter. 
The person needed to be responsible, demonstrate strong attention to detail, and have plants proven to be alive. Plants the proven to be alive. Wow. The 38-year-old artist living in Baltimore currently has about 180 plants in his home and 100 more in his studio space. Wait, quote. Okay. You can't just leave your plants with anyone. No. He said. In the end, the plant sitter job went to a dedicated friend. One person declined, feeling it would be too much pressure. Well, if somebody cares that much about their plants, I don't want to be taking care of their plants either. Right, exactly. It goes on to say, people are pouring their hearts and wallets into house plants, Mm. forming emotional bonds with ferns and philodendron. Some call themselves plant parents. Plant parents. <laughs> do you garden, Kathy? I do, and I love gardening. Okay. I love gardening. Do you develop an emotional connection? I with never your have. No? I never de- No, but, I mean there is something that you you have to you have to be um, judicious in how you care for plants. Okay. Um, and and you have a special thrill when you see a plant thriving or you see new blooms come out. I mean, I go out every single day to see what my plants are doing every day. Okay. I would never call myself a plant parent. Now, wait, you, this story is not over. Oh, really? Mr. Carter, uh, I thought that no, was the hook. Mr. Carter, who named the 15 plants that have been with him the longest, calling them Monty, Francis, and two Bobs. Do they come when he calls? <laughs> he considers them green pets. Huh. Mm-hmm. Frank, a fiddle leaf fig, is the oldest and has been with him for four years. Mr. Carter's wife, thank goodness he found someone who was able to tolerate mm. this lifestyle, Fiona, often sleeps in while Mr. Carter goes about his Sunday watering routine, which takes three hours. It's about as long as your average Episcopal church service, <laughs> isn't it? So, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you you have pets, right? I do. Okay, I have two cats that I love desperately. All right, yeah, we have cats and dog and frog and everything. Uh, wow, kids, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so many children. We have we have plants. We like plants, um, but we don't think of our. I don't know. We we don't we don't think of our plants in the same way that we think of our animals. Mm-hmm. Certainly not in the same way we think of our kids. We haven't mm-hmm. named them. We, well, we have. That one is a sunflower, and oh. that one is an aloe plant. Okay, so, yes. so you took the names that someone else gave them. We did, yes. Okay, that was, yeah. that's a good idea. That's um, a good idea. But this sounds like something you can do when you have the time, money, space, and security to afford it. Mm-hmm. So this is like a pursuit of the elite, you're saying? I, I feel like it's, yeah. Okay. People I mean, used to collect there's more. There, <laughs> now they collect plants. Yeah. There's much more to come. This is a, this is a long story. Oh I'm going gosh. to tell you about it in an hour, an hour too. Okay. Uh, but right now, hey, we've got some tickets to give away. From our friends at Trinity Jewelers, we have a four-pack of Pirates versus Cubs tickets for August 1st coming up. Excellent. And uh, I think it's time to give it away. Mike, what do you think? Let's do it. I like it. I'm ready. 800-320-8255. 800-320-8255. This is a family four-pack of tickets for the Pirates. It's Bucks versus Cubs for August 1st. If you're interested right now, 800-320-8255. We're going for caller number 16, Mike. 
Sounds you feel, good. You feel good about that? I like that number 16. I like calling number 16. All right. Coming up in the next hour, um, we're going to have a conversation with Dr. Jay Richards of the uh, Stream and the Catholic University of America. Is there a human advantage? When you're talking about the rise of artificial intelligence in the age of smart machines, what is the advantage that human beings have? Is that something that we need to leverage as people who own companies and are... And plants. It, it, <laughs> And plants, or is this just the kind of thing we have to recognize that uh, you know human power is one thing, robotic power is one thing, and we're just going to have to be happy in different realms? That's coming up next in the five o'clock hour, plus more conversation about how important your house plant is to you. Mm-hmm. WORD-FM, Pittsburgh, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. The House has gone on record in support of beleaguered immigration and customs agents. House Republicans approving a resolution in support of ICE over the objections of Democrats. New York's Gerald Nadler. It is just a meaningless political stunt to change the subject from the international and domestic shame unleashed on us by President Trump. Republican Clay Higgins. Democrats are making it very clear to the American people that they stand against efforts to secure America's borders. Republicans forcing this vote after Democrats withdrew their proposal to abolish the agency. Capitol Hill correspondent Wally Hines reporting. The California Supreme Court has blocked a measure that would divide the state in three from appearing on the November ballot. Supporters of the measure had gotten enough signatures from voters to put it on the ballot. On Wall Street, the Dow up by 79 points. This is SRN News. Do you remember what was kept in a spring house? If you're an old timer, you know that a spring house was used for storing fresh cold milk. In 84 Pennsylvania, we have another kind of spring house. Our spring house is an old-fashioned country store filled with all kinds of old-time gifts, great country foods, and you guessed it, fresh cold milk. You see, the spring house in 84 is also a dairy farm where we milk our own cows, pasteurize and homogenize the milk, and sell it all through the store. We've had people tell us it has to be some special kind of gourmet milk. We don't add anything to the cow's diet or to the milk. It's just nature's purest, most perfect food, and we love the way our customers love it. We also make a chocolate milk you would think is a chocolate shake, an old-fashioned buttermilk that people drive miles to get, and a 40% heavy cream that's wonderful for luscious desserts. Our 2% and our skim are the greatest sellers. Come and try some Springhouse milk at the Springhouse in 84. Celebrating life's closest relationships is what drives every Trinity Jewelers employee. It's people, not profits, that make life worth celebrating. After 20 years, Trinity Jewelers is still growing, and they have a place for an experienced diamond sales expert to manage their sales team. If working in a caring, friendly environment with a flexible five-day work week sounds better than the pressures of a corporate jewelry sales job, email your resume to trinityjewelers at verizon.net and help them make the next 20 years something to celebrate. People are looking to finish their basement are usually crammed for space 
or have a special need that they don't have the room for. Energy Swing's Total Basement Finishing System is the fastest, easiest way to turn your unfinished basement into something spectacular. We have a great system that within two weeks we can convert your unused space to something beautiful, like an office, a gym, home theater, or just a place for the kids to spend their time. It's a pre-engineered system that installs very quickly and looks great when it's done. It's a premium system because it's premium performance. It's not drywall, which is one of the worst products you can use in a basement. This is a high-end performing system. It has a lifetime guarantee against mold, mildew that won't absorb moisture and looks great when it's done. We can turn your unused basement space into something beautiful within two weeks. Right now, get $1,200 off any total basement finishing project with 5% off over and above any current offer for word listeners only. Visit EnergySwingWindows.com. If you had to replace everything in your fridge today, how much would it cost? For a restaurant or church, that could mean thousands in lost product and downtime. That's when you call Ventec Refrigeration. When your walk-in goes down, Ventec can be there in less than two hours with portable units to save valuable product, and they'll even move it for you while repairs are made with flat-rate pricing instead of hourly fees. A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Keep your cool with Ventec Refrigeration. 412-793-0661. Clear skies and comfortable tonight with a low of 58 degrees. Tomorrow, another nice-looking day, mostly sunny. A pleasant afternoon with a high of 83. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, 66 degrees. Then for Friday, a mixture of clouds and sunshine. There can be a thunderstorm in some spots later on in the day Friday. Highs right around 85 degrees. I'm Mackie Weather Meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Happy to have you with us this afternoon. Kathy Emmons in the studio, but not with John Hall because he takes another day off. Instead, I'm here with new Mike and Dave Moore. Dave, hello. Hi, Kathy. Greetings to you. Um, this hour, we're talking about the human advantage, the future of American work in an age of smart machines. In just a couple minutes, we'll be talking to the Catholic University and the Streams, Dr. Jay Richards. So that's coming up. Uh, but before then, I mean, Dave, could you even find a way to explain what's happened the last three days in uh, geopolitics. I mean, it is... Huh? (laughs) I mean, we have the president who says, no, I meant wasn't, not was. It's it's a question of what your definition of is is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot like that. Mm -hmm. And so so that's one side. And then the other side, we have like an apoplectic reaction to this on the part of uh, Trump's uh, political enemies saying that, you know, likening this to uh, 9-11, yes. to Pearl Harbor. Uh, Pearl Harbor and to Kristallnacht, which is just so unbelievably over the top and disrespectful. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you find a way to stay sane on w- when things like this come at us. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it, absolutely well, it's, crazy. It's crazy in that it's also crazy in the uh, the the volume of voices yes. on all sides. Yes, everybody it's is as though so. Every word, every political move requires massive bullhorn reaction. Right. Right. 
And you're not even on Twitter, are you? No. You would lose your mind. See, and that's why I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> okay, so that brings up an important choice that you've made. So okay. I have to be on Twitter. It's part of my job. Right. And I'm happy to do it because I've carved out a, a spot on Twitter and I, I, I really enjoy the people And those I four follow followers really love you. <laughs> Um, no, I really love the. I, I really enjoy a lot of the um, the conversations mm-hmm. I see on Twitter. The That's arguments, where dialogue is happening. right? The arguments I see on Twitter, I don't enjoy as much. Um, first of all, I'd love for you to join me there, Kathy underscore Word FM and New Mike um, underscore. Are you underscore Word FM? No, you're just New Mike underscore. You're just New Mike Word FM. New Mike Word FM. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, um, is that your phone number, Mike? I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, oh. <sighs> As much as I enjoy that, it is also um, time-consuming and yeah. it can be draining. Yeah. It can be emotionally draining, in particular on a week like this when mm-hmm. you see people who will defend the president no matter what he does or the other people who – on the other uh, perspective, from the other perspective, who will not – who will not give him a chance to do or say anything without calling it the worst thing that's ever happened. Right. I mean, both of those sides, they just neither one make any sense at all. Well, but Obama did that. That, that was eight years of Obama also. It was. Yeah. It was. It's just ratcheted up. Right. You're right. It's the same thing. We are not really any different than we were eight years ago, except we're louder mm-hmm. about it. Which makes what you did in June, to me, more interesting. Oh, Okay, explain your choice. Oh, I I realized um, first, and there was practical considerations to just I just stopped reading, and I love keeping up with the news. I love commentary, especially. I love debate, and I love um, I love listening to other people's arguments. Um, not listening to people arguing, but listening to people sure, arguing. People making substantive reading people's arguments. arguments. And I have my whole life. I have watched the news since I was a little kid. And um, I came to a moment of conviction, but also practical consideration. This is occupying a huge space in my brain. And, and not just the time reading, but that. You don't mean reading books. I don't mean reading books. No, I mean, I mean reading. Um, uh, uh, reading uh, daily commentary, newspapers, um, you know, whatever David French has posted today. Um, it is not just the time that's spent reading it. It is the time, it is the part of my brain that it captures and holds on to mm-hmm. through the rest oh, of the day yeah. until I go to bed. Right. And um, so, yeah, for the month of June, I just stopped reading so you didn't period. read any news or commentary no news. No. for an entire month right right and it, like i said there were practical considerations we had a big family trip coming up i had a ton of work to do and i realized that i was consuming more than i was creating okay and that i am highly distractible and that my go-to when i hit a roadblock is well let's go take in some content let's go think about something else and so I set up my work so that when I was um, when I was distracted, I would move to another item of work, which isn't the most productive thing I could do. The most productive thing I could do is just to follow through on what I'm working on. But at least when I'm distracted, I'm not moving to something that I cannot have any impact on today. And 
what was convicting me is that I was taking in a lot of information that I would never be able to act on. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, um, it's occupying space in my brain. It's ratcheting up my emotions one way or the other. Um, I agree with you. I disagree with that. Whatever it is that it's grabbing a hold of me, taking on a life of its own and keeping me from the tasks that I'm assigned to do today. And so, um, yeah, I just decided I'm going to discipline myself not to read it. And so what I would like so nothing, to nothing, no radio news, no TV news, no, nothing. No. Nothing. I mean, if I caught something on accident, it was fine. It wasn't within – Right. It's not like you were fasting and you yeah, like blew yeah. it or something. Yeah. I didn't have to fall to my knees in repentance. Mm-hmm. It was simply a I am – I'm, I'm going to listen to a radio station that I that will never have the news. I'm going to. I don't watch TV much, anyways. But the TV news isn't going to be on at You're all. You're going to watch Battlestar Galactica instead. Ah, oh, I wish. I wish I had time for that again. Mm-hmm. Um, when I read, it was reading things. And here's something: I, I went back if I needed to read because I love the reading fix. I went back and read and reread things that I had read before. I picked up my old copy of 2010 and would just read a chapter out of it because I know the story. Mm-hmm. If I n- have that need for the entertainment fix, then there are safe places I can go to for the entertainment fix mm-hmm. that are um, that that have a different emotional impact on me than taking in the latest commentary, whether mm-hmm. it's good or bad. Right. And now that's really interesting. I think you saying that you were taking in information that you were not how did you say it? that you're i'm you, never going to be able to act on. you're never going to be able to act on yeah. that's what is so interesting about it is we're taking in information and getting upset and angry and whatever it is whatever side we're on and we cannot affect any change in that no. regard at all so in that it, it acts as and i saw i believe it was beth moore who said this on twitter that it becomes an amphetamine mm-hmm. and it becomes something that we're dependent on yeah yeah, and me getting angry, um, getting angry or getting excited, even and I'll, this is going on in baseball right now. The trade deadline coming up, and oh, is Manny Machado going to come to the Phillies or not? I will read the news in three weeks and find out whether Manny Machado came to the Phillies or not. But you don't need to waste time. I don't need to be on the ride. I don't need to be on the roller coaster. If I want to get on a roller coaster, I'll go to Hershey Park or I'll go to Kenny Wood and I'll ride a roller coaster. Or I'll watch a live sporting event where I can ride the roller coaster. But reading the hot stove report, reading the, the trade reports about where Manny Machado might go, about where this player might land or might not land, is the same as, uh, to me, uh, became reading commentary about um, what Republicans or Democrats might do tomorrow or what might happen in the midterm elections. I don't care. And so much of news uh, – I've, I've had time to reflect on this. So much of news is about speculation and opinion now rather than what actually happened. Very little actually happens. And I, I've watched the Helsinki press conference, and I, you know, I've read a little bit about it. Now. Did it remind and you of Crystal Knocked? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it didn't. It's hard to believe. It Pearl Harbor? Actually, no. Oh, it didn't. No, right. and I saw the Pearl Harbor movie. Yeah, and, and it uh, didn't wasn't remind you. Like no, that. nothing no. at all. No, but um, you know, in in two weeks a- after we've had some time, 
we'll see what what the worldwide fallout from this is. But I don't need to live in that moment. Mm-hmm. It okay. doesn't need All right, to own so, me. Okay, so let me fast forward. Mm-hmm. So now it's July. Okay. Have you gotten back into it? Um, I I started reading again because I knew I was coming on the show, and <laughs> right, I had so to be up to date. You kind of had to wake up, pay some attention. Um, and yes, and I already noticed that I need to cut it out again. Oh, okay. Because I amphetamine might be too strong of a word, but when I take in one bit of information, then I want to find out um, what others are saying about it, and is there another perspective on this? And it's a ball click, rolling downhill. And then, yes, it's a ball rolling downhill. And there's this article that's referenced, and oh, I want to read that more, and I want to mm-hmm. read that more, and I want to read that more. Um, and it can the, be a good thing to under can. to understand issues well mm-hmm. and to hear different perspectives is important. Right. It's just when the yeah. ball starts rolling downhill. I right. mean that's really what it is. And the difference between reading something online and reading a book is there's no hyperlinks in this book. I I have right. to you, stay. you actually have to look at what Jay Richards wrote. Right. You can't click on what you know, someone else said about Jay Richards. Right. Right. Okay. Well, speaking right. of Jay Richards and speaking about the idea of human decision, which mm. is what you did. Yeah. I mean, you decided to do something to change your reality. I had agency. Okay. So you have agency yeah. that sets you apart from the world of artificial intelligence. True. Or does it? Uh, yeah. I, I would say that that uh, the three lo- rules of robotics and the three laws of robotics are very tightly programmed in to machines mm-hmm. that um, they're going to do what they're programmed to do. I'm sorry I can't let you do that, Dave. <laughs> oh, no. 2001 oh, no. fans out there. Oh, my gosh. Uh, All right. Coming up next, Dr. Jay Richards. We're going to talk about the human advantage, the future of American work in an age of smart machines. That's next on the Wednesday edition of The Ride Home. WORD. Hello, I'm Jack Graham, and I want to personally invite you to join me each weekday for PowerPoint, where we'll get down to the basics of what really matters, life in Jesus Christ. Each day, I'll give you practical biblical steps for tapping into God's power for successful Christian living. So make plans to join me for a time of spiritual encouragement that will leave you feeling more alive in Christ. PowerPoint, tonight at 9.30 on 101.5 WORD. The Express Employment Professionals Team sends a big congratulations to all parents of 2018 graduates. Whether your graduate has a clear vision for the future or is feeling a little uncertain about what's next, the Express Pros are here to help. Their Express Jobs app helps to make applying for jobs easier for those who want to get right to work. And for those who want to continue learning and building skills, their Express Learn program offers 18 CTC courses at no charge. Learn more at ExpressPros.com or call 412-494-2000. The following is a true story. My name is David Bryant. When I was 37, my wife and I decided to get term life insurance through SelectQuote. Just three years later, I was diagnosed with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Because of life insurance, the people I love most in this world will be protected no matter what happens to me. 
I know that the dreams I have for my family can still come true. Financial security, to stay in the home we became a family in, and for our children to be able to go to college. I reached out to SelectQuote because I wanted to share my story. If just one person purchases life insurance, I know I will have made a difference. SelectQuote can find a 37-year-old male a $500,000 policy for under a dollar a day. If there are people you care about, you need life insurance. It may be the single most important financial decision of your life. Don't put off protecting your family. Get your free quote now. Call 800 700 That's 800-705-3030. 800-705-3030. Or go to selectquote.com. This is a paid endorsement. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Not available in all states. Great experiences are meant to be shared. How about the experience of a great night's sleep? This is John Hall, and I've been sharing with you about my pillow for a long time. It's truly the most comfortable pillow I've ever owned. It's machine washable, dryable, never loses its shape, and it gives me the support I need no matter what position I'm in. And it comes with Mike Lindell's famous 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Once you experience my pillow, I'm sure that you'll love it too. And you're going to want to share that great experience with somebody else, which is great because right now you can get two my pillows for the price of one with Mike's buy one, get one free deal. Just call 1-800-961-9207. Mention the promo code WORD to start enjoying the best sleep of your life. Or type it in when you visit MyPillow.com. This offer ends August 1st, so don't delay. That's 1-800-961-9207. Or visit MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WORD. When you're a kid, Idlewild is a place full of adventures. There are rides that are just your size, treats to tickle your taste buds, and special friends like Daniel Tiger to touch your heart. When you're a grown-up, Idlewild is every bit as magical, every bit as memorable, every bit as fun. Idlewild and Soak Zone, because you love to see them smile. Right now, save up to $10 when you buy tickets at Giant Eagle. Detective, what are you doing? Well, you said they've all been programmed with the three laws. So that means we have 1,000 robots that will not try to protect themselves if it violates a direct order from a human. And I'm betting one who will. Detective, put your gun down. Why do you give them faces? Try to friendly them all up, make them look all human. These robots are not susceptible to intimidation. Well, I guess if you didn't, we wouldn't trust them. These robots are USR property. Not me. These things are just lights and clockwork. Let me ask you something, Doc. Does thinking you're the last sane man on the face of the earth make you crazy? Because if it does, maybe I am. Dr. J. Richards back with us, professor in the School of Business and Economics at the Catholic University of America, a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute, the executive editor of The Stream, and the host of EWTN's TV show, A Force for Good. Jay is the author of many books, including the New York Times bestsellers, Infiltrated, and with co-author James Robison, Indivisible. He's also the author of, this is the first book ever read by Jay, it could still be my favorite, I think, Money, Greed, and God, which is the winner of a 2010 Templeton Enterprise Award. Jay, good to have you with with us. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Boy, uh, you have been unbelievably productive um, in since the very first time. I think we met you when you wrote Money, Greed, and God. Yes, that's right. It's the first time we ever talked. Wow. Well, you have done amazing work. I mean, you've put out so much interesting content. And now, since the stream has become, you know, one of the content leaders on the web, you must be a busy, busy man. 
Well, I am. I try I try to be efficient, but honestly, I could be more efficient than I am. Yeah, well, we were talking about that right before you came on. Um, you know, I think Mike told you that uh, John's on vacation and Dave Moore's co-hosting yeah. with me today. And Dave had been talking in our previous segment about his decision in June um, to stop watching news. Right. Mm. He was just going to do kind yep. of kind of a news fast, and I said, right. you know, as I was as I was listening to his story and thinking about your writing, I thought, you know, that's a hun- uniquely human ability is to make a decision like that. Like I have the choice for what I'm going to become, and if I'm going to become someone who's crazy about politics, then I'm going to stay where I am. But I don't want to be that person, and so I'm going to make a choice uh, so I can be different. No, that's right. In fact, that's the ki- sort of key difference that I argue and the human advantage separates man from machine, it separates human beings from our computers and, and any kind of would-be robots. Is right. that we have the, first of all, we're free. We have agency. We have consciousness. We have first-person subjective experience. We can decide we're going to act in a certain way through an act of the will and repeat it over and over. It becomes a habit. You keep doing that, and if it's a good thing, it eventually becomes a virtue so that you actually become more than you were before. That's something that fundamentally distinguishes us from the machines that we actually know how to make. All right. So tell us the story that you begin the book with, the husband and wife team, the ones they've just bought their first house, but poorly timed. Poorly timed. And of course, uh, I had written a book about the financial crisis in 2008. The book came out in 2013. I was acutely aware of how this had you know, sort of damage people's sense of the American dream. And this couple uh, in actually Mount Vernon, Washington, north of Seattle, they had just put all of their money into buying a house. They'd just gotten married. The husband was a sports trainer, and the wife, she worked at the same sports club. So they closed on the house on a Friday, and on the Monday, uh, he loses all of his customers, and she gets her hours cut back. So it's August of 2008. So they managed to buy a house just before the housing market collapsed. And so you might think, oh, this is a really depressing story. Uh, but what actually happened is they said, okay, what do we know how to do? And he thought, well, I know how to train people. Um, and she actually knew something about social media. And so they had a couple hundred dollars worth of video cameras. They started shooting little workout videos in their garage, eventually painted the wall white. The videos got better. Started off, you know, not any big deal. They're still online. It's called fitnessblender.com. You can check it out. Uh, they now have over 5 million subscribers. Wow. I just use this as an example of the way in which information technology, which we think of as taking jobs away. Yes, it completely destroys certain ways of doing things, but at the same time, it creates huge opportunities to, for people that are willing to do it. And in this case, I mean, he was training about 15 or 20 people a week in Mount Vernon, Washington. Now people from all over the United States, all the way to Saudi Arabia, use the site. I discovered it because I was looking for something to do for a workout in a hotel room without equipment. So, um, you know, we notice usually the jobs that get destroyed from technology because we see the jobs in front of us. We don't notice the jobs that don't yet exist because mm-hmm. they don't yet exist. Yeah, I um I actually have to confess I know about Fitness Blender. I have tripped over them. What? Yeah. Yeah, I knew exactly when I read the story in the book. I'm like, oh, I, I know who those folks are. Anyways, um, wow. that was before my news sabbatical. But, uh, yes, exactly. That's not news. That, that, no. that counts. That's good. That's Okay, good, good. Um, but you um, you said something that, that – we don't yet know the jobs that uh, don't yet exist. There is a ton of rhetoric about what is being lost, what is being lost, what is being lost and never recovered. 
But it sounds like you're advocating that we're just in a transitional moment. Is that correct? Yes. That's correct. We're in a transitional moment, and it's a highly disruptive one. So Mm -hmm. if you look at just the history of human civilization since the last Ice Age, it has been about us finding ways to do more with less. So we learned to use flint rocks, and we learned to, you know, uh, forge metal and create tools. We learned to use tractors. We invent tractors and internal combustion engines. That always makes some kind of type of work obsolete, Mm -hmm. right? Every tractor put some farmers out of work and made other farmers much, much more productive and made food much less expensive for people. That's happening now. Actually, most of the automation hasn't even happened yet. The stuff I write about in the book, like self-driving autonomous long-haul trucks, which Mm -hmm. the technology already exists, but it's not happening yet. Most of this stuff is in the future. But if you look at manufacturing jobs in the U.S., about two-thirds of the jobs that have been lost since 1980 are actually the result of increased automation. And I would actually expect a heck of a lot more of that to happen. So on the one hand, what's happening now has happened several other times in human history, and we don't all end up unemployed. Nevertheless, it's hugely disruptive. And in this case, I think it's going to happen so quickly that it's perhaps more disruptive disruptive than earlier economic inflection points. Uh, now, I know this is going to be disruptive for Dave, just coming out of his news fast. Uh, <laughs> but but we, we recognize that part of the Trump phenomenon was this fear that people had, and it, a fear mm-hmm. that was not baseless, a fear that was based on seeing jobs right. disappear, seeing automation take over, you know, vast swaths of, of the American landscape filled with people who were dissatisfied, mm-hmm. feeling like the American dream was something that was now out of their reach, because technology had reached a certain point. So, you know, what do you say? How do you, how do you look back at that? How do you look back at that and say, okay, well, it's not just a fear that we have that keeps us up at night. This is the kind of thing that causes us to advocate for certain candidates and vote in certain ways and see, you know, huge, um, huge changes in, in the way American politics works. No, I mean, that's, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if 80,000 votes in the so-called Rust Belt states in the Midwest had gone a different direction, we would be talking about President Hillary Clinton right now. And those were hugely significant. I mean, in terms of raw numbers, um, you know, com- counting all of California, maybe not significant, but demographically hugely significant. And I think in, in the case of Donald Trump, it's not that I actually don't think Donald Trump has policies or proposed policies that would actually help people with those jobs. I don't think... Uh, protectionist policies or favoring one factory that punishes a bunch of other factories. I actually don't think that's a good way to solve the problem. I do think what Donald Trump had is he got it. So most Republicans, uh, they're seen as sort of protecting corporate interests. And when they talk about non-corporate interests, they immediately start talking about the indigent poor, so the homeless and the extremely poor. They don't talk about uh, the working class, people that are working in factories and mines. Donald Trump kind of intuitively got that, and so I, I think he spoke to the moment. And I think the real problem, the real perception, it, it is a real problem. I mean, the reality is there are entire towns uh, all around the Great Lakes that were structured around these large mass-scale factories in which people did highly repetitive jobs. Those types of jobs are disappearing, and I think we're going to continue to see them disappear. We're also going to see a bunch of jobs in the white-collar sector do that. In fact, that's already happening and on the trading floor in, in on Wall Street. Actually, it looks kind of unpopulated now. There's so many things that you think of as white-collar jobs that are actually done by computers. And so this is going to hit both the white-collar and the blue-collar sector. The question is, what's the best thing to do about it, both as individuals to prepare for it, and what's the best policies to actually help alleviate the problem rather than make it worse. 
We're talking to Dr. Jay Richards, professor in the School of Business and Economics at the Catholic University of America, a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute and the executive editor of The Stream, plus the host of EWTN TV show, A Force for Good. Uh, We need to take a break. But when we come back, uh, we're going to play a clip from Bill Gates because he's been thinking and talking a lot about robotics and um, how it works when we look at the future of American work. It's next. Tired of working for everyone else? With Vanguard Cleaning Systems of Pittsburgh, you can be your own boss and own your own business. It's a common dream that too often goes unrealized. As owner of your own commercial cleaning franchise, you can finally take control of your future. Vanguard Cleaning Systems offers you a turnkey opportunity that takes you through everything step by step, from the initial setup, marketing, and even providing you with new customers. Even if you have no experience, Vanguard will equip you to succeed at your own pace. Vanguard's expertise is why they're consistently ranked as a top franchise in Entrepreneur Magazine. Isn't it time you stopped working for everyone else? Discover the daily joy of being your own boss. All it takes is an initial upfront investment as low as $5,000 that will quickly pay for itself with Vanguard's proven model of success. To start your own janitorial business or expand your current one, call Vanguard Cleaning Systems of Western PA, 724-870-4120. Celebrating life closest relationships is what drives every Trinity Jewelers employee. It's people, not profits, that make life worth celebrating. After 20 years, Trinity Jewelers is still growing, and they have a place for an experienced diamond sales expert to manage their sales team. If working in a caring, friendly environment with a flexible five-day work week sounds better than the pressures of a corporate jewelry sales job, email your resume to trinityjewelers at verizon.net and help them make the next 20 years something to celebrate. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs, like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray-on bed liners, tonneau covers, weather tech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters, always a favorite. Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, for the extreme in all of us. At ExtremeTruck.net. When you come to Kennywood, you're part of the family. So make yourself at home. Help yourself to some tasty treats. Then climb aboard with the number one blue engine and steam into our newest attraction, Thomastown. Visit Thomas and friends at their new Kennywood home, coming soon. Kennywood, a Pittsburgh tradition for 120 years. Welcome to the family. Now save up to $20 on select days at Kennywood.com. If you're not in the club, you're missing out. Word FM Discount Shopping Club members get up to half off great deals every day, right from your computer or smartphone. Like today, get twice the fun for half the price at Fun for All Family Fun Park in Cranberry. Get a $100 value for $50 or $50 value for $25. And enjoy the best family fun rides, games, and attractions, including the new XD Dark Ride. It's all for fun at Fun for All. Log on now to wordfm.com keyword shopping Clear skies and comfortable tonight with a low of 58 degrees. Tomorrow, another nice-looking day, mostly sunny. A pleasant afternoon with a high of 83. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, 66 degrees. Then for Friday, a mixture of clouds and sunshine. There can be a thunderstorm in some spots later on in the day Friday. Highs right around 85 degrees. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. Right now, if a human worker does you know, $50,000 worth of work, in a factory, that income is taxed. 
If the robot comes in to do the same thing, you'd think that we'd tax the robot at a similar level. What the world wants is to take this opportunity to make all the goods and services we have today and free up labor, let us do a better job of reaching out to the elderly, having smaller class size, helping kids with special needs. You know, all of those are things where human empathy and understanding are, are still very, very unique and we still deal with an immense shortage of people to help out uh, there. And so if you can take the labor that used to do the thing automation replaces and both financially and training-wise and fulfillment-wise have that person go off and do these other things, you're net ahead. But you can't just give up that income tax because that's part of how you've been funding that level of human workers. Some of it can come on the profits that are generated by the labor-saving efficiency there. Some of it can come directly in some type of robot tax. You know, I don't think the robot companies are going to you know, be outraged that there might be a tax. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> That's the voice of Bill Gates. And this is a world technology leader brainstorming about how the future could look as humans and uh, robots interact. This is a conversation we're having with Jay Richards, professor in the School of Business and Economics at the Catholic University of America, a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute, the executive editor of The Stream, and the host of EWTN TV shows. EWTN's TV show, A Force for Good. All right, Jane, I, I know you've heard that clip before. Um, mm-hmm. Am I characterizing it well? I mean, he's brainstorming. You know, what would it look like? <laughs> yeah, he is brainstorming. And I mean, this is the, I hate to say it, this is the danger when really successful business people brainstorm about sort of large-scale economic things. <laughs> they often don't think through the <laughs> unintended consequences. And so if you think about it, I mean, in some ways, it's sort of intuitive. It's like, okay, well, robots are going to take jobs. Let's do something to slow that down mm-hmm. so that, I don't know, so people maybe that have a job that's going to be taken over by a robot uh, will have a longer amount of time to adjust or something. But, I mean, just switch this to a different time. Imagine if we decided, okay, we're going to tax tractors or we're going to tax, say, batteries or motors that work in factories, because those took jobs, too. I mean, the logic of this, unfortunately, would mean basically what we do is hobble domestic industry so that it makes them less competitive and less productive, so that other countries and other places that are automating, well, they're going to actually have a comparative advantage. You say, well, okay, wait, let's, let's have a tariff on those products so that they don't compete. And then that vastly increases the cost of goods and services, not just for consumers, but for the domestic companies themselves. And so these kinds of things might sound like they make sense. It's like, let's raise the minimum wage to $30 an hour, and then everyone will be rich. That sounds good, as long as you don't spend five more seconds to think, okay, what's going to happen? Well, it turns out a lot of people whose labor isn't worth $30 an hour are going to not have legal jobs. And that's this sort of thing. Of course, you have to tax something, but the last thing you want to do is tax and disincentivize tools that companies use to actually make themselves more productive. That's what companies are supposed to do. The purpose of a company, I'd say it, isn't just to create jobs. If that were the case, then you'd want the companies would want their workers to be as inefficient as possible, to use spoons rather than tractors. Mm-hmm. It's to actually the purpose of companies is to create value, to create value for other people, and jobs are a part of that. And so if we start imagining the only purpose of companies 
is to sort of create and maintain jobs are going to end up in a world of hurt long term. It also sounds like like the notes I made in listening to him were that this is uncontrollable and unenforceable. That right. you know, what do you declare as a robot? Well, could we say that Windows, the operating system, is also going yeah. to be taxed? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you would set up an entirely new. Uh, arm of the federal government just to figure out what we're going to tax and what we're not. Um, and and it moves into this realm of what is controllable and enforceable and what is not. The, the, the danger I see in moving toward greater and greater automation is that we're removing elements of messiness. Like we think that we are removing messiness from our lives by taking something that was done by a human and is now uh, we can now have it done by a machine. And um, I, it, it not only bothers me as someone who thinks a whole lot of the human race, but I wonder if it's a false god that we're setting up by thinking that we are moving things into, an, an, into controllable realms. Well, we, we certainly, I mean, any technology can be used for good or for ill, but I think it's important to distinguish the kinds of things machines can actually do from the kinds of things we imagine they could do. And so, unfortunately, I mean, you know, the great Will Smith uh, clip of him talking in uh, iRobot, in which, of course, every enjoyable robot movie is about a robot coming alive and becoming conscious because it's totally boring otherwise. Nobody wants to watch a movie about, you know, the ship computer on Star Trek or something like that. But the reality is that is entirely entirely science fiction. Um, We know what's happening inside computers. There's nothing about computation in a computer that if you sort of speed it up, suddenly becomes consciousness. We We know about consciousness because we experience it directly in ourselves. And so you have to separate, okay, what are machines likely to do from what they're not likely to do? And there's a bunch of stuff that basically if it's easily repeated, if you can reduce it to an algorithm, whether it's a mental operation or a physical operation, if it's highly repetitive, um, like it or not, those are really, really automated. And so in some ways I'd say it's going to be, I don't actually know how you'd resist that long term. On the other hand, there are other types of activity, complex bodily movement, for instance. If you're a landscaper, um, that's actually going to be really hard to replicate. We're not going to see Rosie the robot housekeeper anytime soon because of these complex bodily movements that we just have a hard time replicating uh, with machines. Then the other thing that I haven't really mentioned here, but I talk about a lot about in the book, is that just because something is made by a machine doesn't mean that we quit liking that thing when it's made by a person. I mean, the best example I could think of that we've known for decades is coffee. I mean, no one would have believed in 1960 if you had told them, okay, coffee production and transport, it's going to be super cheap in the 2000s, and people are still going to pay $5 mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. get it handed to them That's by a point. barista. I can, get it, I can get it free from a machine in the United Club. I did this the other day. Push the button, get a cappuccino. It's perfectly automated, and yet people will sneak in $5 Starbucks. So what's happening? Well, I think... What's happening is that people are preferring a different kind of coffee experience so that as some things become commodities and become almost free, built by machines, we suddenly start liking farmer's markets and small batch beer and things like that. I would actually expect that kind of labor to increase just as the repetitive labor and the repetitive kind of work will actually probably go more and more to machines in the future coming years. We need to step away again. Uh, We're talking to Dr. Jay Richards about automation. What does the future look like when we're looking at robotics? Is it the kind of thing that we we should despair, panic, pretend it's not happening, or actually utilize the entrepreneurial spirit, figure out what the future can be? 
101.5 WORD. Coming up on Love Worth Finding. Do you ever wish you could see just a little light at the end of the tunnel? May I tell you that we're living in a dark hour. We are living at midnight. But I've got good news. The day is about to break. Adrian Rogers shows us God's Word for the end of an age this month on Love Worth Finding. Tonight at 11 on 101.5 WORD. I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO of Wesley Financial Group and timeshare cancellation advocate. I was sued by the largest timeshare company in federal court for simply helping people cancel their timeshare that they had been lied to about. The jury sized me up and came back with a verdict after only 20 minutes. And yes, I won. My husband and I are more than grateful to everyone at Wesley Financial Group. You know, thanks to Chuck and his team, we feel as though a weight has been lifted and we can move on without the worry of a troublesome timeshare. Whether you owe ten to $250,000 on your timeshare, it's my mission to get you out of your timeshare, eliminate your payments, and get them off your back permanently. And we proudly hold an A-plus rating with our Better Business Bureau. Want to learn more about getting rid of your troublesome timeshare? Call Wesley Financial Group now for your free consultation. Call 800-475-1818. That's 800-475-1818. 800-475-1818. This is Mike Howard for Word FM, here to tell you about an awesome opportunity to attend Teal College in nearby Greenville, Pennsylvania, for an extremely discounted investment without discounting the educational experience. More on that in a moment. Teal College was founded in 1866 as a co-educational institution in western Pennsylvania. Teal is an independent liberal arts college rooted in the Lutheran tradition, offering distinctive programs in the arts and humanities, social and natural sciences, and professional studies, together with engaging co-curricular and athletic opportunities. Teal College provides an accessible and inclusive learning environment that emphasizes service to society. Teal's residential campus offers a safe and supportive setting in which to grow and learn. Word FM is pleased to offer a tuition voucher to a brand new student at Teal College at half price. Yes, half price. That is almost $15,000 in savings. Call me today, Mike Howard, to find out more. 412-937-1500. That's 412-937-1500. You know, I'm not a genius about money. I love my credit cards, and they love me. I was using them as a source of income, and then I got behind in my payments, and creditors were calling. I figured I had a problem, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I heard about Trinity, so I called and talked to a counselor. In half an hour, we worked out a plan. Now I've got one easy monthly payment, a lower interest rate, and I'm getting out of debt. If you're in an endless cycle of paying on credit card balances that never seem to go away, then get ready for a toll-free number that will put you on a path to financial recovery. Trinity will consolidate your accounts, put a stop to late fees and over-limit charges, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. If your debt has you down, we should talk. Call 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976. Call 1-800-990-6976. You know why we couldn't just send machines on these missions, don't you, Cooper? machine doesn't improvise well because you can't program a fear of debt. Our survival instinct is our single greatest source of inspiration. Take you, for example, a father with a survival instinct that extends to your kids. What does research tell us is the last thing you're going to see before you die? Your children, their faces, 
at the moment of death, your mind's gonna push a little bit harder to survive. For them. Deep breath. Talking to Jay Richards, professor in the School of Business and Economics at the Catholic University of America, senior fellow at Discovery Institute, executive editor of The Stream, host of EWTN TV show, A Force for Good. Glad to have you with us, Jay. Jay, I would love to talk to you about Interstellar, but I, <laughs> I, I, I have to let that one down for a second. Um, but after six o'clock, I'm, I'm all yours. The I once worked for a robotics company, and... Mm-hmm. Um, they were developing machines that were going to replace human workers, but it was a um, it was a a repetitive motion job that right. was very important, but would do great bodily harm as people did mm-hmm. it tens and hundreds of thousands of times over their lifetimes. I right. of course, when I was interviewing, I balked and I said, "I got I have trouble um, developing things that are going to drive people out of their jobs." And their response was, one, it's going to happen anyways. And two, as Christians, because it's going to happen anyways, we can do it differently and we can drive the way um, – we, we, can, we can change the way industry does the transition to automation in a more human rather than less human way. Um, that caught my attention, but I, I wonder your response to that question. Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely think that a, a company that's Christian and whose leaders are Christian or ought to be actually have a more humane operation all around. But I don't actually think the fact that a machine replaces one way that somebody does things. I don't think um, I, a guy named Joe is doing a particular job in a factory, and we find a machine that does that job and doesn't get fingers cut off. That that's uh, you know I don't think there's anything in, intrinsically inhuman about that any more than a tractor doing something that ten men could have done or a truck doing something that twenty men could have done because it makes people more it makes everybody's labor that's involved in it more productive it bring, it makes the cost of whatever's being produced vastly lower so that increases the purchasing power of people and then it creates completely new markets I mean imagine if we had thought in 1776 somebody said well you look at steam engines if we run this out. Right now, 95% of the population is working on farms. That's how many people worked on farms in 1776. Run this out, and millions and millions of men who have jobs are going to get displaced. They're going to be replaced by machines, by tractors and combines and things like that. All those people will be out of jobs. Well, it turns out, no, not, that's not true. There was disruption, and now 1.5% of the population works on farms. And all these different kinds of much higher-paying jobs that people do that nobody could have imagined. And so my plea in the book is, one, prepare for this because it's going to happen whether you like it or not. But two, don't think of innovation uh, as replacing people. It doesn't, no person is going to get replaced. What gets replaced is a particular way in which people, usually already working machines, happen to be doing something. But unless we actually just simply want to live hunter-gatherer existences where we don't use any technology, this is something that's been happening for thousands of years. And so putting a, you know, a, a, a machine in a mine to do a dangerous job, that might displace some workers. It's also going to free up a heck of a lot of resources to do other things. So I think what we want to focus on is not, oh, that job goes away, but what do people do and what opportunities uh, can they exploit if they know how to adjust to it? 
At the same time, Jay, at my local grocery store, you know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, there was one, you know, scan yourself aisle. I mean, not scan yourself, but yourself scan. <laughs> you know what I mean. Come on, you know what yeah, I mean. Anyway, now there are nine. Um, so in that regard, and I, of course, I am committed to going to the human person mm-hmm. to scan uh-huh. my groceries. I, I, you know, but it is disturbing how that has taken over. Or when you look at phone trees. I mean, if I used to have problems with my gas bill, I could call the gas company and somebody would say, "Hi, here's I'm the welcome to the gas company. How can I help you?" Now you have to go through a phone tree of like you know that lasts for <laughs> sixty five seconds before you can even figure out what number you want to press. So in, no, that, yeah, in that regard, I feel like I haven't had any control about how much automation has happened in something I do every day. No, and you, just like you wouldn't have if you'd lived 100 years ago, you wouldn't have had any control over whether people were using combines or tractors. I mean, the, the, the reason that happens is because people are more productive when they do it. And then we buy the things because it turns out the goods are cheaper. You can, Kathy, if you're really bothered by that, actually drive out to farms there in your area. There are farms not far from Pittsburgh and actually buy it directly from the farmer. And I do some of that myself. And so remember, on the one hand, you've got Safeway using more and more automated sort of service, in part, honestly, because of minimum wage laws, not because of anything else. Those, those jobs, uh, if people were getting paid minimum wage at those jobs, they'd still exist. A lot of that has to do with minimum wage jobs. At the same time, there's been a massive growth in things like small batch farms, uh, local war, uh, cuisine, uh, people actually going out to farms. In Washington, D.C., I'm telling you, there are farms all around the city that people actually go out and deal directly with farmers. Now, the reason they can do that is precisely because the actual cost of food is so dramatically low that they can spend actually essentially what is a luxury at this point on those things. It's the same thing with coffee. The reason we don't, it doesn't bother us to buy $4 lattes is in part because a lot of the other stuff that we spent our money on in terms of food has actually gone down. And so it's really easy to just notice, oh, there was a checkout guy that I preferred uh, to the scanner and not notice the kind of other things that are happening. And notice that if you really dislike that, there actually are grocery stores where you can go, but it turns out the stuff's about three times as expensive. Hmm. All right, Jay. So, so the bottom line for you is that we can either, you know, put our head down and act like it's mm-hmm. not happening or we can panic, right? Or we can despair. Right. But you're saying that there's there's something better than despair, panic or head in the sand. <laughs> yes, there is. In fact, that's my fear. That's why I decided to work on this book because I felt like those are sort of the only messages getting out is that essentially either the robots are going to take all the jobs and it's going to be terrible or the robots are going to take all the jobs and it's going to be awesome because we don't have to work um, or just, you know, just panic and we don't know what to do. In fact, what's already happening is that and what's more likely than not to happen is that people work in more and more in concert with machines. They're not, in most cases, most jobs aren't literally replaced by a robot. What happens is that particular types of work become more productive. Some kinds are, do get replaced. Things like long haul trucking. I think a lot of that will get replaced. And so then the question is, what do people do? And the good news is that there are a heck of a lot of options available to people that were not available before. I mean, just the fact that you can get a graduate degree if you really have the gumption virtually free online, that's something that no one could have said in 1776 when they're losing their family farm. And so my book is really about, okay, what are the virtues that you need to cultivate in a highly disruptive information economy in in which lots of things that we thought only humans could do are going to actually be done by machines. And my argument is that, in fact, there's going to be a bunch of stuff that we can do, but it's going to require focusing on those things that are uniquely human, on developing 
virtues of courage and the ability to learn from failure and to serve others, to look for ways to create value for others. Those are the ways that I think anyone that does those things is ultimately going to succeed and is going to have a a fulfilling economic life if they do that. If they despair, um, it can be ugly. The new book is called The Human Advantage, The Future of American Work in an Age of Smart Machines. The author, Dr. J.W. Richards. Jay, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us this afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Jay. That's Jay Richards. All the information about Jay and about the book, find us online, johnnycathyshow.com. There's much more ahead as we close up Wednesday's Ride Home. It's Trinity Jewelers' 20th anniversary. To celebrate, Trinity invites you to bring your better half this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and get half off half the store. We don't know which half yet, but 50% of all their jewelry will be going for 50% off. No, Trinity is not going out of business. They've just lost their minds, and the savings will be ridiculous. Trinity Jewelers' 20th anniversary half off half the store sale. 20 years of celebrating life's closest relationships. Trinity Jewelers, Mount Nebo Road at TrinityJewelers.com. Hi, Tom Bodette, coming to you from one of those open offices. They're designed to make it easier to share ideas and, apparently, the details of Cody the intern's love life. So if you're looking for some space to call your own, try Motel 6. They have the low prices you've come to expect, plus the peace and quiet you so desperately crave. I'm Tom Bodette from Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. And Cody, you can do better. Book online at motel6.com. Isn't crushing candy just boring? Play the hit puzzle game Best Fiends. It's sweeping the nation. Tired of matching candies? Give Best Fiends a try. It's fun, fresh, and addictive whether you play alone or with friends and family. Download Best Fiends for free in the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Thanks to Dr. Jay Richards. Always a fascinating conversation to have. This is, you know, we ran out of time, but my concern with, with what we talked about is that for my local cashiers who got laid off at Giant Eagle because they were doing, you know, self-scan machines instead, you know, there's a time lag between when they get laid off and when they can develop enough creativity to come up with figuring out what their next job is. Yeah, not only that, but a significant time lag between the last time they were had to be creative. Right, and now. And develop new skills. And now, uh, I, I'm. I agree. I, I, I like. I, I like Jay's approach, and I agree with the outcome that automation is coming. And we need to be optimistic about it and entrepreneurial yes. and figure out how to do it. But um, we are multi generationally um, not nimble, not creative. And 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 that's going to come back and bite us in is, this. It is. If we're, I mean, if we if we have if we have stripped ourselves of the ability to be creative and rethink ourselves, then this is a really tough economy to exist that in. If the last time you were creative was when you were twelve years old, and now you're in your mid fifties, and the job that you that you spent your life perfecting, and, and understand the psychological impact of being told that this skill that you have honed your entire life is no longer useful and we're going to cast you off. Um, but even more so that 
that were telling workers, well, just go get another job. We'll just go retrain yourself. Mm -hmm. There are parts of the brain that have been completely um, shut down. That's the problem. And not because people have let themselves go fallow, but because the amount of energy that is required to focus on perfecting that skill that was – that you, that you were deriving your paycheck from. Right. And all of a sudden now you're supposed to go to graduate school online at night. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's right. It's a, it's a tough bargain to make. I, I it's com- a tough reality to live in. I completely agree with what Jay is saying in that burying our heads in the sand, um, is not the way, uh, fighting against it is not the way. Um, but simply expecting people to suddenly become creative. Um, right. It's probably, it might be a asking a lot. Right. Yeah. Thank you to Dave Moore. Thank you to New Mike for being with me today. Coming up tomorrow, uh, New York Times bestselling author Stephen Mansfield on Killing Jesus, the unknown conspiracy behind the world's most famous execution. We'll also talk about a whole different view of the book of Revelation. That's on the Thursday edition of The Ride Home. Have a great night, Pittsburgh. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications.